Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to welcome you all here today for this webinar hosted by the Involve Group in partnership with Accelerated Improvement. Hopefully by the end of it, you will have learned a lot from our two guest speakers as to how rapid and mass employee engagement is central to accelerating operational excellence and continuous improvement. This webinar will be made available as a recording afterwards for, uh, for, for everyone. But for those of you who are watching live, um, you have an ability to ask questions from your webinar screen and at the end of the presentation from our two guest speakers um, we'll have an opportunity to answer some of those questions. Hopefully we'll get most of the questions covered but um, if we don't have time then we'll, uh, we'll go back to everyone individually with, uh, with individual responses. Okay, so um, just quickly to introduce uh, our two guest speakers uh, here today. Uh, Frank Devine uh, founded Accelerated Improvement in 1996 after a corporate career at sector level in Shell, Unilever, Alvis, ABB, Fiat, uh, and many others. And he specializes in helping companies create a high-performance, continuous improvement culture from the bottom up. He has developed a comprehensive system of leadership development, the Cathedral Higher Purpose Model, which he will explain in more detail himself later on. In testament to the effectiveness of Frank's model, 25% of all Shingo awards in Europe from the period 2010 to 2017 have used Frank's rapid mass engagement process and his leadership system. Frank has worked with organizations such as Dupuis, Johnson & Johnson, who uh, awarded the Shingo Prize in 2014, Rolls-Royce, Coca-Cola, Boston Scientific, GKN, and many, many others, many of which also have achieved the Shingo uh, Prize. Our second guest speaker uh, today is Paul Kearney. And Paul is a highly experienced quality professional uh, with over 17 years experience in high volume manufacturing in a range of industries such as semiconductors, pharmaceuticals, medical devices, automotive and aerospace components. Paul will share his insight into how Frank's mass employee engagement model has delivered real results uh, in the roles and uh, in the jobs that, uh, that he's undertaken throughout his, uh, throughout his career. Just quickly before I hand you over to Frank and Paul, I just want to have a quick word about our own company, the Involve Group. My name is Barry Harper. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Involve Group, and we work with many companies, helping them accelerate their own operational excellence journey. And we do this by helping them to put their employees at the core of their business. Our workforce excellence platform enables our customers to continually engage their workforce for such things as capturing and managing improvement opportunities, sharing knowledge, managing rewards and recognition, employee coaching and reviews, learning management, completing surveys, and many, many other things which are all very relevant in relation to the topic of rapid mass engagement, which we're talking about today. Our platform is a combination of your own branded employee mobile app and a communications platform uh, to help you optimize your workforce through continuous engagement, helping you to build a culture and a mindset of operational excellence. If you're interested in finding out more about how we can help you accelerate uh, your own journey towards operational excellence, please do, please do have a look at our website, uh, involvegroup.com, where you'll find out more information and some success stories uh, in relation to what we're doing with, uh, with our, all of our clients. Uh, so that's enough about Involve Group. Um, I'll now hand you over to uh, Frank and Paul, um, who for the next 30 minutes or so will give you an insight into how mass employee engagement plays a central and vital role in accelerating operational excellence. So I'll just hand you over now to, uh, to the two guys. 
Okay, thanks, Barry. So just talk about your rapid mass engagement. First of all, the, the model developed um, by, by, by Frank Demain himself. It has been the most influential activity and in shaped my own professional leadership career over the years. And it has shaped significantly how I consider and view continuous improvement in the overall um, automation system. There's a number of learnings that you can take away from, from Frank's rapid mass engagement model. It's very hard to sort of condense them, but for me, the top 10 learnings would be, number one here in, in bullet points is, taking the systems approach alone will fail. It's only a matter of time. Um, on the journey, we, we do strive for systems that drive performance and behavior, but really you need to stand back and look at, is the organization with you? Who, who's, who's standing behind you? If, if you? if you take a pause in time and who really believes in the systems that they're working for them? So that, that's a key one for us, that's number one. Number two, it's important that we look at the leadership models that's, that has been developed uh, and, and trained by, by Frank. There's five key models that are very effective. Like over the years, there's been a, a number of different training uh, management systems and, 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 and curriculums that you embrace on. But Frank has really distilled these down into five key basic leadership models. And the, the, the consistency of application across all leaders is, is very effective for organization. Can I just say something on that, Paul? That, um, yep. the, an interesting way of looking at it and the way I developed them over the years was um, about variation in the output of leadership. So if we wouldn't tolerate, you know, in your quality field or in ops, we wouldn't tolerate um, large degrees of variation on a on a physical process. We just wouldn't tolerate it. We couldn't run our businesses if we couldn't guarantee quality and output the right quantity on time to our customers, etc. But in business in general, in organizations in general, we, we tolerate very large variation in leadership outputs. Uh, we make excuses like people have different styles, different approaches, different cultures. So, we, um, so the idea of this uh, approach that you just mentioned was to guarantee to every employee looking at as the employee as a customer of leadership to guarantee to, to every employee that whatever leader they had and whatever job they went for within the organization they were guaranteed to have a very good leader the leader might have a slightly different style might have a different personality of course but the outputs driven by those models and the skills and the skill development uh, need to be um, this you know within a very very um, high and control level of variation so that employees know what to expect and then and, and get used to expecting high levels of leadership anyway that was just to show some of the background to that one part yeah well thanks frank and as i said at my desk now today i'm looking at those five models that are mm. taped to my monitor as a constant reminder of reinforcing the the principles of the models they're very effective. well done so again we'll talk about the um We'll talk about the uh, the approach to rapid mass engagement, but on the th on the third point here, when I first came across the the approach that Frank deployed, I was probably I was skeptical. Um, I was heavily focused on the systems way and following a solid technical approach. I believe that establishing key systems to drive behaviours and the performance was 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 key. But in the first session of mass engagement, I quickly realised that and I was educated on the reasons why great systems can fail and my bad systems can actually work well. It's all about the people engagement. Um, to me, I became edu educated on the concept of slow down to go faster. Mm. And 
around focusing on the organization on the why and the what's in it for me. Really understanding about how does the production operators feel? How does the engineers feel? How does the management feel? How does the support functions feel? And putting those all together to give a real feeling for why are we here? Where are we going? Are we bought into the journey? And I think that the, the rapid mass engagement model did that very well at the very outset on the first few days of the, of the program. Uh, and Paul, it's typical for people to be very skeptical at that stage because the way the process is designed, which we'll see later, um, you know, the workforce creates its own culture, its own continuous improvement culture. And um, employees find that very difficult to believe. They, they find it very difficult to believe that they've been given so much power that they will um, create their own culture and they will agree with senior management by consensus how to remove all those barriers, which is your next point, isn't it? So yeah. skepticism is not a problem with this process. It's um, a sign of intelligence because it's so rare for human beings to be given that much power at work that it's inevitable that they'll be skeptical about it until they see things happening. But Frank, mm -hmm. see, it's just, uh, and I jump in here, the, yeah. the, in relation to the sort of uh, point Paul makes in relation to skepticism, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I assume that like sort of that can be prevalent in every organization you go into where change, there's obviously a change of approach and a change of style. Um, looking at all of this, like sort of, what is uh, like a, like a, maybe a top tip or whatever, if you do come across a skeptical senior manager uh, that's sort of uh, questioning this, maybe from a, a fear perspective or a, a, an unwillingness to change, uh, oh. what, what is it? What is a good way of maybe trying to address that? The key thing is, the, like I've just done now, is explicitly welcome skepticism, uh, which has a disarming effect. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually say to people in the workshops, I expect you to be skeptical. You know, if, if I'd come along and I didn't know uh, previous examples of how well this has worked, I'd be skeptical myself. Yes. So um, not to worry about skepticism. You could argue it's a sign of intelligence. Yes. Uh, you know, someone comes and says, listen, I can uh, do your driveway for 10, 10 euro, then you're going to be a bit skeptical, aren't you? So, um, so it's absolutely normal for intelligent human beings experienced at work when confronted with something that is completely different from their previous life experience to be skeptical. Right, very good. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right, Frank, talking about the, the barriers, there's, the, the way I see it was, there was two types of barriers. There's a barrier to engagement and a barrier to improvement. And I think the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in your very first workshop that you deployed, it was when I was in that workshop, um, there's a lot of sort of, well, we can't do this because, yeah. that's not the way because. And, and we quickly harvested all those uh, engagement barriers. And then once we got those enlisted and, and understood, only then can we talk about improvement and resolve and remove and prioritization of those barriers. And it was a, it was very, um, how do you say, uh, breaking the ice, uh, you know, breaking the current culture up before we create the new culture and code of new culture that you talk, you talk about later in your own, in your own uh, part of the presentation. So that, that was a, a very um, interesting part of the, part of the journey that took a number of days and weeks to, to finalize. Um, well, just to, for, for, any, for anybody um, tuning in, um, at Boston, where, where Paul and I started to work, it was 3,200 people. So, and then the ops side of that, it was 2,800 people. That so was um, 72 workshops, um, you know, three workshops a day. So it was very, that's the rapid bit, the really um, quick um, diagnosis of the situation in the eyes of employees. 
and then the quick resolution of those issues as far as possible you know and uh, if if not if not resolved in the so-called consensus day which we're going to talk about later uh, plans to get them resolved to a time scale um, so that's where we first met and um and those workshops every single employee in the organization would have been in a workshop uh, was in a workshop just like yours paul okay I think five, six, or seven are all about Frank Your Cathedral model that that, mm-hmm. that you push uh, so well, and it's a good guiding principle and good model to look at. The whole setting expectations and and uh, managing over commitment and holding people sort of accountable is um, holding teams accountable um, are all in the same flavour of, of of five and six. Mm. And what I really want to finish on, on six. Understanding how individuals contribute towards overall team goals and company goals and breaking down objectives at an individual level about how they know they're contributing. And I know some of the key phrases used at the time was, how do you know if you're being effective in your role? How do you know that you're contributing as, as effective as you can? And have you got goals that drive that behavior? Um, very, very important uh, principle. And it really takes a lot of thought to try and get right. Um, but going back to the cathedral model, that, that's the higher purpose leader model. The recognition piece, which is number seven, was the one that probably still um, to this day that I try and utilize as much as possible and understand the concept of why thank you is not a form of recognition. And the way recognition is done is in a certain way. And if I can remember correctly, Frank, from, from, your, from your learnings, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is we, we need to talk straight to people. We need to be up, up front and honest and, and, and you use a certain language that you call language. Second of all, what has that person done? And what is the impact that it's had? Not just on, on, on the team and the organization, but what would the impact be if it wasn't done or if they didn't take that action? And the last part of the point we finished is, well, how did, how, did it, how did their action make you feel? Mm-hmm. We, we, we package all this together and we deliver that as recognition and we do it in a, in a meaningful personal way um, just, just on that paul the the other thing is that um th- that level of recognition came from a, a detailed pareto on yeah. um the gaps between what uh, people meant to get across in a message and and what receiver received and the the actual preparation to deliver that quality is done in cycle time so the three questions that people, managers or anyone else ask themselves as they walk towards the other human being. So they add no time whatsoever to the time of a busy manager's schedule, but they increase the volume, the quantity and the quality of the uh, recognition. But I suppose, I suppose the, the, the next point, I mean, I, I put this down as a, as a key learning is that, that they're in the whole coaching piece. I mean, the coaching is so important because like that, let's be honest, being directive is easier. So where can I find this? You can find it there. How do I do this? This is how you do it. That, that, that can be quick, fast, to the point, less resources, but it can be a trap because you're, you're removing the whole development opportunity. And coaching is an investment in people's time to explore a solution that might not be readily available, to explore their, their own person's technical or understanding, to develop it to a higher level, that they become more self-sufficient in the future. And that's a hard piece that I'm still trying to master, but mm. attempting to try and make time for. And it's about understanding when, when is a coaching opportunity present and when it's not. 
exactly. And the so, coaching approach is actually based on um, science as well, as opposed to some of the other commercial um, approaches to coaching, which are, can appear to engineers and hard scientists as a little bit fluffy and uh, disrespectful of data, if you like. The particular yeah. approach here, because it's designed to promote uh, innovation, creativity, continuous improvement, um, is actually in some ways closer to Six Sigma than some of the more traditional coaching um, approaches out on the market. Um, I just before I finish on point ten, I'll just I'll just finish number nine. It's it's the the whole principle of and kind of like setting expectations as well, where improvement, yeah, the work. It's not it's not just about keeping the job going or, or doing the motions. About making time in your every single day to day task to figure out how to make things better. Every day is a day to be better. Tomorrow, mm. every day, every problem is opportunity. How we look at things differently and, and say, well. There's opportunities every single day in our in our workplace that can be realised to make tomorrow easier, more effective, and more enjoyable. And that responsibility lies with every single individual. And that that instilling that expectation in people is, is not easy, especially when there's a feeling of that's not my job and that that's somebody else's job. But actually, it's, it's you in the process. You're the process owner. You're the most knowledgeable. You need to embrace. The principle of making improvements is part of the job, um, and that that's um, when that starts to gain momentum, and there's some quick wins and there's some early believers, it will snowball in, its, in itself over time. If you can uh, remind people and reinforce the message of of, of continuous improvement through communication from the plant or, or or various forms. Paul, can I just ask you? You 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 were a um, quality manager when we started the process, weren't you? I, was, I think it was actually, I think it was moving into production. Uh, yeah, I think I spent a time in production as well. Yep. Okay, but so did you, did you see the um, connection between um, what, what the process uh, drives and the, if you like, the ideals of the quality movement in terms of yeah. right first time and uh, yeah, et cetera? That's a good question, Frank, because I mean, driving quality assurance, quality compliance, you know, out and out, just, you know, doing it right first time and, and getting all the aspects correct and making sure you fulfill regulations and customer specifications. But if you look at the overall principles behind the operational license model, like taking the shingle model, yeah, there's a lot of principles. In fact, every, every principle has got a, um, a positive impact on the overall quality system. Like yes. think systemically, focus the process, Ensure quality source, seek perfection. Yeah. Look at our, every aspect of operations, eliminate waste. With the, with the guiding principle of creating value for the customer, and the whole quality management system is based on creating value for the customer. Exactly. Paul, see, just uh, I'll jump in there and just a quick question because what, a lot of the uh, clients that we're engaging with and sort of having conversations around this whole acceleration of operational excellence journeys, continuous improvement, uh, uh, sort of this whole idea of capturing opportunities. It was kind of uh, the, the, the feedback we've been getting and, the, and the, the discussion we've been having. There's two challenges. One is actually getting mass engagement in the first place to get the opportunities. And the second thing is like when you do get them, what actually, how do you manage them? Um, how do you complete that circle um, of uh, sort of, uh, of feedback? And 
and like sort of it comes back to the point you made there of individual goals drive team goals so when someone actually creates an opportunity for improvement no matter how small they can see how it fits into the overall improvement as the team and then the company as a whole how did you find in your experience like when you think split those two things out did you find that the second one was possibly equally as important as capturing the ideas in the first place and the opportunities in the first place so, what do you mean exactly? What's, what's do you know, it's like the, 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 a lot of our clients, when we talk to them, is they sort of, yeah, yeah, they can go through a process of capturing opportunities, but then if, there's, if they don't complete the circle and have a proper PDCA process and a proper feedback action management type process after that, mm-hmm. then it, it can fall down. Would you find that as well? Yeah, so it's, it's harvesting ideas, and I'll talk about a little more about harvesting ideas further on in this, in this webinar, but that's one grade of it. You need to have a very, very strong review mm. and system mechanism in the background and transparent. But I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about later on this webinar the five key ingredients to setting up an effective CA system. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot. There's, you, can, you can make a list of 50 things, but there's five ones that are, that if they're not in place, it won't be as effective. Um, right, okay. I'll, Great. T- I'll talk to you about that later on, Barry. Great, super, super. And interestingly, yeah. interestingly um, if you think about the five models, Paul, the ABC model yep. uh, is, uh, is emphasizing the fact that you could, you could generate the opportunities, but you have to follow through. You know, there has to be a C, a consequence. There has to be a, you know, um, an act in the PDCA. Um, so there's a lot of linkages here. Yeah. And I suppose before I before I probably hand, hand over, just finish off my learnings and hand over to Frank to talk about the, the rapid mass engagement model. Um, Frank, I read that uh, article you produced there, um, and certainly with me, thanks. It was very interesting, actually, and how you talk about the three ingredients to operational excellence: yeah. the the culture and the, and the rapid mass change of culture, the standardisation of leadership, and the the continuous improvement focus. And I I would like to sort of echo that by saying that. Yeah, culture and leadership are, are, are really um, are, are, are very important, but they just they expand on the CI. It needs to be a relentless passion. Um, identify somebody in the organization who's got a passion for it and who's willing to, to put everything they own in, into that, that, that journey because you need a real champion ambassador to, to drive the CI journey, to, to communicate it, endorse it, promote it, um, coach people, develop people, and that would be a that that's what I would see is is the three main ingredients, and that that's very much aligned to that um, that paper you produced. Just to just to build on that, Paul. Um, sometimes passion, we have to create the passion. So um, um, people, that's which links back to your what what's in it for me or or the why. If you think about um, again where we met in Boston, the work we did with the with the guys before we even did the workshops, creating the, um, the higher purpose, you know, um, um, the, the point about for the West of Ireland and the history of the West of Ireland, so a future for our family and friends in the West. Um, that enabled people to engage at a deeper emotional level with what we were doing than any kind of business, managerial, um, if you like, pure vision. Mm-hmm. So by, by, by doing that work up front and, and presenting that to the employees in that way, that this, is, this isn't just work. This, is, um, this affects potentially your children, your family, your communities. Then that in itself creates passion or 
if passion was already there, amplifies the passion. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's why the, uh, the leadership model is called a cathedral stroke higher purpose model. It's not a vision model, it's a higher purpose model. Mm -hmm. Frank, we'll just, uh, just move it on now, just actually to, uh, to your learning outcomes. Yeah, so a big learning outcome, I think, <clears throat> is that by um, leveraging three different focus points, if you like, the rapid mass engagement of the workforce, particular uh, form of continuous improvement, which I call um, uh, predict and prevent, from its fields terminology, and looking at leadership as a system rather than a series of individual skills and tools, and which is designed to systematically um, accelerate continuous improvement. It's those three areas of focus together, amplifying and reinforcing each other, that gives you the, mass, the um, greatest competitive advantage. And that's, why the, then. that's why my company's called Accelerated Improvement, the idea that you can actually improve it. Um, in one particular um, Shingo Prize assessment, one of the sites, um, it said it was the highest ever level of employee engagement that the Shingo Institute had ever recorded. That was back in 2014. Toyota um, audit of another place said that it was the best example we've seen of an organization that truly embraces the cultural aspects of the Toyota way. And um, John Buccino, who's a guru in the um, lean uh, field, um, he visits a lot of factories and he says, everywhere I see this approach, I see systematic and sustained engagement and improvement. So that just gives you an idea that this is not just a theoretical uh, construct, something that has been developed and improved, if you like, over the last 20 or so years. Um, um, gives you an idea that it, uh, it does move the dial. It's not just a, a program or an initiative. It's meant to change the culture forever. Just it's uh, something you mentioned earlier on there, Paul. Like sort of uh, in your own experience, like sort of the, you can you can put down a list of a hundred different ideas and methodologies to have an effective continuous improvement system. But you've summarized it down to these top five. Yeah, yeah. It's like as I said before, like uh, continuous improvement is is something that can be championed from within the quality function, it sits very well in the quality function, but it's for all functions benefit, production, quality, support functions. Um, as we talked about before, there are huge benefits on overall QMS when an engaged workforce are relentlessly focused on making daily improvements. It's actually interesting that certain industries have already stated requirements to ensure this is promoted within quality. Mm. Um, now, let me just give you, give you a quotation here from, from the automotive standard, one of the clauses. 7.3.2. It's called Employee Motivation and Empowerment. The organization shall maintain a documented process to motivate employees to achieve quality objectives, to make continual improvements, and to create an environment that promotes innovation. That's very powerful. That's, that's automotive is saying that you, you must have this in place. The process shall include the promotion of quality and technological awareness throughout the whole organization. So that, that's an example of one of the standards is sort of getting out ahead of the rest and saying that this is part and partial of your QMS. This is, this is now, where typically historically, it may be, may be seen as a, as a separate standalone function. It now must be ingrained in the whole organization. I don't know, Frank, what your thoughts on that, but it's a... No, dead right. I mean, the whole, the whole um, focus of my work has been to reintegrate um, 
streams of intellectual thought that have been separated by over-specialization. So, so there's an example of where the quality function and the CI use improvement lean approach uh, and the engagement approach have been actually integrated in the quality system, which yeah. is exactly the, the point of, uh, of all of my work, to be honest. Yeah. So, but I just just to, just to call it tough. I, this this is a hard thing to do because, as you say, and we all know, CI is a is a huge evolving uh, journey and system. But talk about harvesting every opportunity and make it visible. Only, only frontline workers know the opportunities exactly that that are that are present in the process to make it effective and efficient. Managers, and this is from a, a published study, would know or or, or junior managers up to nine to ten percent. So harvesting those and promoting a permission to care policy and harvesting those will really get it, let us see the hidden factory. Like I, I talk a lot about the hidden factory, which see in reality, linking it back to the, um, the uh, single principles, make it visible, make it transparent. Mm. So it's important that you have a system that does that. And I think from in, in management, there's a fear that you now start to expose and unearth a lot of, which is like going back to Frank's earlier point around managing over equipment and the cathedral model. If there's, this is where Frank's work sets you up to do this effectively because there is a, there is a process to manage over commitment and, to, and how to effectively manage all these opportunities that get surfaced. You know, you need to have that, that system built in the background to do this. The, the whole review feedback system is very important because people will walk away. People will, will, will disengage quite quickly when they, on the first or second occurrence when they've been going on, out beyond the role to make, a, make an opportunity known <clears throat> and nothing has happened or they can't see any discussion in the background. So the, the review feedback system must be part of your leader standard work. So a lot of companies talk about leader standard work as a key requisite to any operational access journey. It's very important that that leader standard work also has a review feedback system for opportunities, opportunity harvesting. And um, as part of that, building a recognition system Aligned to the cathedral model, which Frank talks about, but I've used the words pick, you know, the positivity, the immediate uncertainty. I mean, those three ingredients of recognition and delivery ensures that it actually builds trust and motivation. So think about how people don't like to give up smoking. I mean, it's not a positive thing. They don't like you know, not having a cigarette. Um, in terms of immediate, it takes a long time to break the habit. You know, so it's and in terms of certainty, a lot of people have tried and failed over the time. Therefore, that's why sometimes the, the journey of giving up, giving up smoking isn't as effective because it doesn't fulfill those pick criteria. Um, Frank, we discussed this you know, recent, more recently as well about, uh, about the, you know, the, the importance of, of, of doing recognition in, in a certain way. And, and I think that if, if, you, if, you can, if you can manage recognition using the, the triggers that you teach, and you can think about the, the pick or the nick, even the, the converse, the negative instantaneous uncertainty, it helps reinforce the, um, the, the, the recognition and motivation of, of, the, of the raw system. And if anyone's interested in where that picnic comes from, it's um, the piece of research. It was done by um, a guy called Daniels. Um, um, and he has a whole whole methodology to support that it's called the abc it's it's where the abc model came from paul yeah um, and and that but that's the author of it so it's important to call him out yeah. and give him the credit for inventing that because it's a tremendous piece of work yeah 
Um, the next point talks about uh, CA execution, simple and fast. I mean, I've you know, throughout the, the years, obviously, been a, been, in, been a quality engineer discipline in the background. You go through your, your, your Six Sigma training and you learn your, your statistics and you focus on reducing variation and you use the DMEC models. And it's only till you get into the sort of the wider evolution of, of CA that you realize that DMEC is probably more discontinuous improvement. And things like PDCA and, and line level um, Kaizen is more continuous improvement. So what I mean by that is mm. the more the, qua- the, the qu- quantity and quality and, and, in, and the amount of people engaging at line level improvements is much more impactful for the culture than one or two very focused DMEC approaches, which are, which are typically done by small teams over maybe six, several months, maybe years. And I would, in this stage of my career, see a lot more benefit from, from promoting the PDCA approach, which is much simpler, much faster. You have a lot more, lot more of them. And, so, and I'd like to remember, it's about the sum of the total, if that makes sense. Um, I, think it, I think it's horses for courses, Paul. I agree with the general comment there, but sometimes um, the sheer volume of data is such that um, you need powerful statistical uh, approaches just mm-hmm. to understand what's actually going on diagnostically. Um, so I think you're right. I mean, some people have used Six Sigma when they didn't need to use Six Sigma and they, uh, because that's what they know. But I think it's a question of um, choosing the right tool for the particular issue that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And what do, you think, what do you think, Frank, about the, the, um, the sort of definition of continuous improvement versus discontinuous improvement? You know, I've read about that previously and it's, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I haven't had time to think about that but I, I get the point I mean you're making a distinction between the kind of daily improvements that we might be able to make in some circumstances as opposed to big step change yeah. improvements which uh, traditionally e- uh, improvements been done by engineers and managers to employees rather than employees uh, working with the engineers and, and sometimes the technology um, gets in the way there. So I'm working with one client at the moment where engineers can access the uh, work remotely. Um, and because they can, and it makes it more efficient for the engineers, they don't go on the shop floor uh, uh, nearly enough to create the uh, the two-way dialogue between the operator and the engineer that's essential to all of this. So sometimes advances in technology um, have a negative effect yeah they yeah. actually um, uh, separate uh, the employee from the engineer and from an employee engagement point of view having your work taken over on your screen while you're trying to work on it by somebody you don't even see mm-hmm. uh, with Shitty. no human yes. contact is, is extremely disrespectful and, and the engineer you know doesn't under, doesn't realize that they're just trying to do their job but that has to be that's one of the things that came out of um that company's mm-hmm. consensus day, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a yeah. whole project on that now in that particular company to nanotechnology to, um, to try and say, well, okay, we've got to use the technology, all right, but we have to, it's socio-technical system optimization, not just technical system optimization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right about horses for courses too, Frank. I think, you know, Realistically, organizations are not going to invest in, in training up all employees and in, in, in the MEC methodology. And the P no. is a very effective tool to mm. basic line level improvements. And having 
having a team that can can step in and provide additional data analysis uh, can be can be done as well and supported. Yeah. Can be done so yeah, so yeah. see your point there, fourth one there, Paul, like sort of relentlessly focused on the system, not the person. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Yeah. So I suppose, I suppose over, over the years, I've, been, I've heard benefit, got the benefit from a, a study in human factors engineering. And um, what it really does, and I really like that, and I suppose the consultant that I most admire in that field would be a, a lady called Jeanette Colazzo. Um, she's based at mm-hmm. MA, and she's very knowledgeable in the field, and she's a really good mix of of theory and an application, but mm-hmm. those the, the human factors piece is, and again, it is something that in the last three years has now been quoted on the Quad A standards for 9001 and for aerospace as well. Mm-hmm. Organizations must have an approach for the human aspects of, um, of performance. Talk about the social, psychological, and environmental aspect. Typically in investigations, there is say, 40, 40 to 50% of investigations do you look at the, it's, it's the traditional, it's a manpower effect, you know. Yeah. Right now, regulations are not allowing that to be a conclusion of investigation. That is now the starting point for the investigation to understand how to allow the human to make the error. And this is why I talk about relentlessly focusing the system. You know, hardened systems, soften people, as opposed to hardened people on exactly. softened systems. Yeah, yeah. And well, well I don't know, Mike. Sorry, on that, Paul, um, the first behavioural standard at Dupuy won the Shingo back in 2014, I think, or 13, 14, um, was dealing with the issue of what do you do when you have a defect on a medical devices line. And their first behavioural standard um, to deal with the blame problem is um, when something goes wrong, we ask what happened, why did it happen, how do we make sure it doesn't happen again, and we don't ask who did it. And there's an, another example of the integration of the culture coming from the employees about the chilling effect of the blame culture yeah. turned into a, a very important continuous improvement promoting uh, new culture, uh, which completely turned around the whole yeah. atmosphere on the shop floor there in um, in Dupuy. Yeah, and I think that, I think Frank that, and I wasn't aware of the example. And it's really good to hear, to to reinforce it. It's it's so important because I don't believe that that a a lack of assistance focus, or I don't believe that a that the CA journey can be effective if there's not a some some sort of tool set to focus people on on the systems yeah, or exactly. some set. I mean, the debate, the debate within lead circles over the years, um, which is a very frustrating debate for me, is that you have some very eminent um, people in the field saying that um, work on employee engagement and leadership, etc., is, is, is redundant, unnecessary, because if you get the right system, it will automatically drive the right behavior. Um, now, I, I argue that, uh, um, yeah, that's true, but it takes a long time. And back to the point about accelerating improvement, if you can change the culture and create a pull for improvement so that employees want to improve every day and then you give them the tools and the systems, then the combination of that is going to be more, more powerful and quicker and more effective than just trying to operate a four-cylinder engine with two cylinders. Mm-hmm. Just, just the last point there, Barry and Frank, is what I see is a... Is a some sort of um, 
alignment of behaviors with performance. So ha- looking at the be- some sort of behavioral KPIs to system mm. effectivity. And what I mean here simply is that over over my career, I've heard about even th- even through audits or or customer reviews or, or client reviews. Yeah, we've raised the cap for that, or we have a project for that. But you, but you really stand back and think about, well, what is that project actually doing? What's that cap doing? How effective is that cap? And is there is there good good metrics to make sure that people just aren't pencil up in the CA improvement activity? Are we are we relentlessly going after the highest form of mistake proofing, for example? How are we really um, going after the a true system improvement that'll that'll make it more effective? It won't come back. Um, and what I've done to adapt this over over time is try to put in place the KPIs that just don't focus up on closed, but how effective closed, what, 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 is an eff- what, is, what does good look like and measure against that? I've um, seen the work you've done there, Paul, and I think that's excellent. You're not, you're not just ticking a box, you're drilling in, um, using the coaching approach we, we talked about earlier to find out, um, you know, what we call question answer, question answer to, to find out exactly, you know, what was the quality of the PDCA there? Was it done to the correct standard? Etc. Etc. And I think that's excellent application of the work. I think Paul, what you've what you've done excellently there over the last sort of uh, uh, few minutes or whatever in the on the webinar is like sort of given us a real good uh, practical sort of application of Frank's model around rapid and um, mass and sort of employee engagement and how that can sort of drive operational excellence uh, through highly effective. Uh, uh, continuous improvement systems. Um, I'm just I'm conscious of time on the webinar and uh, like the amount of questions we've actually got coming in. Um, I think there's a lot of people be disappointed if we don't get to a lot of those questions. But uh, there's a question that comes in here says I noticed many of the organisations who have used this process go on to win uh, a Shingo award. Like sort of uh, in terms of like, can you just explain, Frank, maybe what the connection between the two is? Well, um, that that's true. Um, the connection, I suppose, is that two of the Shingo principles um, um, inv- mean that organizations have to address how they engage their workforce. So therefore, um, and this, this was the case in Boston Scientific, they went looking for who's the best person to help them along that journey. And in, that, in their case, I think they did a 17-month um, um, benchmarking uh, exercise where they visited plants plants and all the rest of it um, so there's not there's not a uh, there's not a connection per se other than if you are going to um, deliver all of the Shingo principles then you do need to address issues like respect for respect for the individual etc um, my own when I'm asked for advice on this I, um, I, I say to people, do all the right things and by all means apply for the Shingo. And if you do all the right things, the right things, the kind of things we've been talking about on this webinar, then uh, you've got a really good chance of, of uh, doing well in the Shingo. But, but prizes per se shouldn't be the objective. The higher purpose is about uh, maintaining jobs, bringing jobs into the factory or organization, uh, keeping communities alive, keeping families together. That's what it's about. And um, and that's what will get you the um, engagement of the workforce because people, that matters a lot to, to people. The right. prizes then come along um, because you've done the right things. All right, very good. I think, Paul, this one next might, might be directed in your direction, Nick, but how close is the connection between the emphasis on systematic excellence 
in this process and world-class quality? I think we may have answered that in the webinar, Barry, but just, just to recap again, I would ask anybody, the person who's asked that question, go, go and get their hands on, on the shingle supporting principles. If, yeah. if, you're a, if you're a quality manager out there today and you're thinking about what does operational license do for quality, print the shingle principles out, read them. 95% of them are aligned to the key requirements of any quality management system. Well, ultimately, creating value to the customer to, to, to give you a few standardized process, seek perfection, develop people, think systemically. It's, I see um, companies, I would highly suspect that companies who, or highly expect, sorry, that companies who do well in operational license have a very, very robust quality system. The two of them have to go hand in hand. Mm. No, and I agree with that. All right, very good. The, uh, there's a question here in relation to sort of, um, there's, there's obviously people that are on the webinar today that are sort of thinking about this journey, that have started the journey or sort of uh, are well into this type of a journey. But one of them has come through here says we use paper and Excel and a, and a whiteboard for capturing continuous improvement opportunities. And they're asking a little bit about how uh, the involved workforce excellence solution actually helps uh, do that. One of our, that the, the, the capturing of an, uh, improvement opportunities is, is kind of one feature within our, uh, within the actual excellence uh, solution is in, in practical terms, what it means is that from a bottom up perspective, which the guys have been talking about, is about harvesting every opportunity and making it visible. I think one of the points Paul made, I think it was his first points in terms of the top five things to make it uh, effective. Um, so what we, we enable companies to do is have a, an, an automated solution that uh, via terminal or via mobile device, people can actually from the bottom up capture those opportunities uh, and then they go into a proper review process. I think Paul mentioned this as well, is the actual management system through the PDCA and keeping the person that created the opportunity in the first place in the loop uh, through all of that. So essentially, that's what our uh, what our solution uh, allows companies to do is get rid of the paper, get rid of Excel, and 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 make it easier for uh, the bottom up approach to to capture all of uh, all of those improvement opportunities. But I said that's just one aspect of the uh, the excellence workforce excellence solution. Um, there's more information obviously uh, on our website which you can uh, you can address. Mm -hmm. But I think the the next question here, guys, is I think we've already answered this one as well. But uh, maybe just in a, in a summary, like how can you get senior management buy-in to start a journey like this? Yeah. Well, what I do, I have a process for this. I have a, um, what's called a, a diagnostic and decision-making workshop. And the idea is that the um, senior leadership team looks at what it's trying to achieve, the level, you know, operationally, business-wise, what's its business goals, and et cetera. And then I ask them to f uh, figure out and help them figure out what level of employee engagement they need to deliver that. Um, and on the basis of that, then we explore what the options are and then we agree a particular approach to it. By the way, during that diagnosis, many organizations decide not to do the uh, mass engagement approach to this um, because they might not be ready, they might have weaknesses in the leadership team, there could be a whole lot of reasons. Um, and I will, um, I will I frequently advise organizations not to not to use this approach. There's no point in using it if um, if the diagnosis is saying it's uh, it's not necessary or or, or uh, is too risky for them. Um, but but on the back of that, then that creates the um, plan to um, to decide, you know, whether you're going to go ahead or not. And and it gives the leadership individuals the opportunity to express doubts and. I test that in various ways uh, so we don't have nodding dogs you know we need we need 
this this kind of process requires see um, strong, committed, humble leadership. So, Paul, you're thinking about you know people like James Lyons at Boston, you know people like that, Colin Shields. People have to um, they have to uh, accept to do this process. So they're going to get some surprises that they can't control, and they've got to be able to be humble enough to who uh, accept that and work with the workforce to overcome them. And guys did that, as you know. And um, so that's how we do it. Um, and sometimes the skepticism can come from me. And in other words, I can say to, and I have said to organizations, I don't think you're ready yet for this reason or, or whatever, but one way or another, the organization gets a diagnosis of where they are, where they need to get to, and the options they have to get close that gap. I think that Frank Vick sort of uh, just uh, the, um, there's been a tremendous number of questions have actually come in and what has been striking to me is the host here today is the range of industries that they're coming in from. This isn't uh, this isn't something now that's just confined to your traditional manufacturing no. uh, sectors. Um, there's uh, quite a few service companies and uh, attendees here today looking at this sort of a type of an approach. But uh, just to, just to finalise and to, to finish on this last question, which I think is uh, it ties into what you're just after saying is that there um, there must be a lot of similar learnings from company to company who participate in such an approach but what would you say Frank is the most striking challenge across all of them that companies face um, I think what I think the biggest challenge is that no matter how much explanation that we get up front uh, that I can give and no matter how many articles people read um, you're never really prepared for this um, there's always surprises there's always um, uh, people surprise you in both directions. Um, just to give an example, in Bacardi Martini, um, the general manager rang me about six months after, nine sorry, nine months after the um, original uh, mass engagement phases, and he said to me, naming an employee, she's in the same body, but she's not the same person. He was talking about the massive change in her behaviour, and uh, and I said to him, uh, I said, um, no, 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 no. She's always been the same person. The difference is her work is now so much more meaningful to her that that's changed her behavior and passion for her work. So in any organization, there will be multiple, multiple people who uh, have far greater potential than they realize or that sometimes the organization gives them credit for. And the unlocking of that it's one of the most um, fruitful and encouraging things in my life, you know, to see people do things like shop floor workers, training directors in the new culture, you know, like in Boston and in Seagate and Dupuis. So have a shop floor worker stand up in front of a room of senior managers and say, this is our culture and this is how, what it means to me is tremendous. And um, mm. So I think the, the challenges are that um, you don't actually know what's going to happen. In a sense, you've got to trust the process and trust the facilitation of the process, which is very important, uh, the quality of that. Uh, and that requires leadership of tremendous integrity and humility to do that. Great stuff. That's the uh, challenge. I think what he got the... Um 
the questions, both the content that uh, Frank and Paul have shared with us uh, today in the dialogue. It's been a real sort of uh, exchange of uh, ideas and a, and a sort of a back and forth uh, webinar here today. So hopefully uh, our viewers have, uh, have learned a lot and been able to pick some practical uh, examples out of that, all that's left for me is to is really to thank uh, Frank and Paul for uh, for attending, taking the time out of their busy schedules to uh, to talk to us today, and uh, thank you attendees for uh, taking the time out of your diary to uh, watch us today.